Hello there. Today, we are going to discuss about combat in Star Wars Shatterpoint. My name is Sean, and welcome to the Gamer Guild. Welcome back. Today, I am joined by Matthew. Matthew, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm I'm exhausted. Uh, I've been moving around, going to a baseball game, and uh, and the beach, and all kinds of things. And I went on a Ferris wheel, so I'm tired. Oh my gosh, that's a that's a lot. All right. <laughs> and also, we're joined by one absolute Matt. Matt, how are you? I'm going to join that tired boat. I mean, spent all day uh, driving and playing in a tournament yesterday for another minis game, which I happened to see you at yesterday. Uh, but yeah, so I'm on the tired route too. Still haven't recovered from that. I definitely feel you there. We, uh, I didn't do the driving part, but I definitely rode in a vehicle and uh, had a had a long, sweaty day of some gaming for some uh, MCP. It's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, but today we're not here to talk about MCP. We are here to talk about Star Wars Shatterpoint. Um, today we're going to go over combat in a nutshell as our kind of our part two of our rules episodes. Um, so what is combat? How does it work? Um, we have an outline here, but we've kind of discussed amongst ourselves and decided to, before we dive into some of the nuts and bolts, we'll go over the actual timing chart, um, which Matthew, I think you are going to take care of that for us. Yeah, so the timing chart I think is important because coming from uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol, I would say like half of the rules that uh, are are asked about on the rules form, you know, would be answered if people had a very strong understanding of the attack timing chart. Uh, the this and if you ever are confused about something. Uh, going to that timing chart, it's on page 38 of the rule book, at least currently, uh, at the time of, of our recording. And it's uh, it'll answer pretty much everything you need to know. Uh, and it's something that I think when you start playing this game, you should have it open. And you should just go through the steps. Don't try to shortcut things. Don't try to add things that you think it should do or how, you know, let your influence from other games that you've played uh, affect what you think is going to happen because it doesn't uh, even, I would say some of the things that are a little unintuitive from what you would just expect to happen as a result. Um, they're a little different in the timing chart. So I think going through the timing chart is an important start because that'll kind of set the basis of what exactly we're talking about. So I'm ready to go. If you're ready for me to start saying a lot of words. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's, go uh, for let's it. Let's rock and roll. All right. So first step is that you declare an attack type, so either ranged or melee. The second step uh, is to check for eligible targets. If you're, if they are in range of your ranged attack, or if you are engaged and have line of sight for those melee attacks. Engaged meaning that you are within range two. Uh, now the third step. Choose an eligible target in range or engaged. So once you have checked for your range, you then choose the target. The character that that is making the attack is the attacker. The target of the attack is the defender. And then resolve effects that trigger when a character is targeted, starting with the attacker. So 
The attacker resolves any when targeted effects first, then the defender does. The fourth step is form initial dice pools. The attacker adds attack dice equal to its attack stat, then resolves any effects that add dice to the attack, and then resolves any effects that remove dice from the attack roll. After that, you do the exact same thing with the defender. Add the defense stat, add dice from effects, then remove dice from effects. The fifth step is to roll those dice. You roll the current attack and defense pool. They happen at the exact same time. You roll all the dice. The sixth step is to modify the dice rolls. Uh, first is to modify the attack roll. The attacker adds or removes dice results, changes dice results, and rerolls dice on the attack roll. Then the defender adds or removes dice results, changes dice results, and rerolls dice in the attack roll. So first the attacker modifies their dice, then the defender modifies the attacker's dice. After that, we modify the defense roll. That is when the attacker will modify the defense roll. And then after the attacker modifies the defense roll, the defender may modify their defense roll. The next step is to determine the results. You remove one strike result from each from the attack roll for each block that is in the defense roll. If there are any critical or strikes remaining from the attack roll, then we continue to the next step. If there are no criticals or, or damages, we skip the next step and we go to the step that follows. The next step that happens is the attacker has a number of successes equal to the number of criticals and strike results in their attack roll. Starting from the orange option on the leftmost column of the attacker's combat tree, the attacker picks a number of options equal to the number of successes they have applying all effects of the chosen option before choosing the next one. Uh, and then there's, there's a whole talk about combat trees we can go on to either later or another pod. Then after that, you apply all damage from the damage pool and and to the defending character so every all the damage you've collected either from the i think either for, i believe either from the expertise and from the attack tree gets applied during the step step nine and then finally we come to our final step step 10 of the attack which is to resolve all effects that happen after the attack is resolved and this is the important one because this is the one that threw me for a loop the first time first the attacker resolves any remaining effects from their attack expertise chart so for example if you have a jump or a push or something that happens on your attack expertise that does not happen when before which uh is would be intuitive because that's when you're modifying the dice as the attack expertise happens. This happens after everything has happened, the damage after the effects from the attack tree. First, you do the attacker expect, uh, expertise chart. Then you do the defender's expertise chart effects. Then the attacker resolves any abilities or special rules in the order of their choice. For example... If they get one of those, you can do any ability in your 
attack tree, that happens at this point in the attack, not during the combat tree, because the combat tree says resolve effects when they happen. But for things like special abilities, like if uh, Asajj has the ability to do her force push, um, or she could do any active ability, really, but she decides she wants to do her force push, that happens during step 10, not during step 8. Then after the attacker resolves their special abilities, the defender resolves their special abilities, if they have any. And then after that, to round it all up, to finish this attack, we resolve all non-player abilities and special rules in the order chosen by the attacking player. And that, my friends, is your attack chart. That is a lot of information. Matt, what do you think about that, man? Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of not intuitive stuff in that so that having this reference uh appendix will be helpful like especially for your first games just so you're make sure you're doing all those triggers at the correct time absolutely i think i might actually print that off uh, whenever it drops at the shop and just to have it like at, on standby for whenever i'm teaching players that thank you very much matthew that is very insightful i had to drink some water after doing that <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> I can believe it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to go through right there. Indeed. So next, so now that we have that outline here and we know the timing charts, let's actually start breaking some things down and let's go over um like different details of it and see how combat is this. So uh, I'll go over some ranged versus melee here. So with that, uh, we have a like ranged attacks. Um, there's two types of attacks, of course, to back it up. We have um, melee attacks and ranged attacks, and as you mentioned, like engagement ranges and things like that. So when you're checking ranges in this game, um, engagement range is considered in range 2. So if you're within range 2, you're with engagement, meaning only melee attacks can happen. So anything outside of that would be considered a ranged attack. So... Understanding within range two, engagement, that's melee attacks. Outside of range two, that's not with engagement, that is ranged attacks. So from there, range attacks first. In order to make a ranged attack, there must be an enemy character within the character's ranged attack stat, uh, that the stat is listed in the range and in line of sight, which we went over line of sight in our previous um, rules episode. And that is it. As long as they're outside of that two, within the range um, of your ranged attack, and within line of sight, you they are eligible to have a ranged attack against them. Melee attacks, in order to make that, a character must be engaged with the target. When a character makes a melee attack, it uses its melee attack stat, and the defender uses its melee attack defense stat, creating dice pools. And then going over those engagement rules, a character that is engaged with enemy characters within range 2, and on the same elevation and within line of sight. So as long as within range 2, same elevation, line of sight, you are considered engaged. If a character that is engaged with an enemy character from a unit that is not wounded would make an advance action, it dashes instead. So that is very important. Um, So instead of using the advance tool, you would use the shorter dash tool if you're trying to get out of engagement. A character that is engaged with an enemy from a unit that is not wounded cannot climb either. 
a character that is engaged with an enemy character from a unit that is not wounded cannot make ranged attacks. So, arcing back to what I was talking about earlier, you cannot do ranged attacks while you are engaged with an enemy character. Um, what do you guys think of those rules? I, I think that one thing to always uh, remember, and this isn't really as important right now because the game is very, uh, very newborn, but I'm sure this will happen at some point, probably very soon, judging by Obi-Wan Kenobi's card and how it just casually breaks like three core rules on the card. Many of these rules can can be broken if the card says otherwise. So if you get a card, like let's say Han Solo, you know, speculation here, uh, has an ability to use his ranged attack when he's in uh, engaged with somebody, then that is the only way that these things break. You know, sometimes so there there could be some powerful effects. And why that's important is to know that these are the restrictions that the game is placing on you. So when you see something in a future character that breaks those restrictions, you can see how powerful that is. Oh, absolutely, um, uh, Matt. What about you? What do you think about these rules? Uh, I do like that you can't use ranged attacks while you're in melee. So that really has to make you think about your positioning. Um, because like some characters cannot do melee very well at all. Uh, looking at you B ones, uh, <laughs> they're not going to stand up in a, in a fisticuffs. They're, they're made to stay back and shoot. So I, I, I like the, the certain restrictions like that. Cause it makes your, makes your choices on movement and positioning a, a lot more uh, tactical. And also just like for the, for your positioning to somebody else to, uh, just by moving within range two of somebody just essentially shuts down a great portion of of their options. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that because ranges in this game over like, you know, of course, like using MCP as an example tend to be a lot longer because MCP you'll get a lot of like range three, range four, where this game is kind of like it shifts the other like a little bit further where you get a lot of range four, range five. And it being able to just put a person up into that melee helps kind of shut down like these people with these like range five, you know, like 10 inch attacks that they can just sit back and continuously do. It's nice to have the option to shove a, a unit forward into engagement and like lock them down from just sniping the rest of your team or your strike force. Right. Yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, and it, it keeps them from sniping. It forces them to make a decision like, uh, well, do they, uh, they can't focus and shoot that if they want to shoot somebody else, they have to dash and then they can shoot. And that reduces their combat eff effectiveness. It also forces them off of a point, but doesn't allow them to really move to another point so that they're now just kind of not producing anything for the scenario. Uh, so it, it basically, when you take your Anakin or your Maul and you put them on a point, you're saying, you are going to fight me for this point. Yes, absolutely. Um, something else to add and that you touched on as well is bringing in the engagement rules to this conversation. Um, it helps too with the like run and snag strategy of just like if a unit has just a lot of movement and they're just like going from point to point flipping objectives 
it helps to be able to put a model in the melee range with them or just in that engagement range and lock them down and be saying, no, you're staying here. And if you want to get out, your movement is now hindered. That is, to me, is just very effective and pretty well-designed gameplay. Yeah, but also didn't mention jump there. So, like, Mandos, you should be able to jetpack out of there. I mean, you're still using a short tool, but you might be able to change elevation at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the only one that was mentioned, too, was climb. Um, but, yes, you are correct. So, so they will, kind of going back to the design space talk of just, like, they're going to give models options to try to, like, tr- have, like, tricks to get out to, which is really cool. But even still, like, uh, you know, your situation uh, – you know, Dooku runs up to a point that one of the the Mandos are there, and they are like, "Well, I want to shoot somebody." So they jetpack up onto the gantry above the point, so they're no longer engaged because they're not at the same elevation. And now they can, you know, focus and shoot or whatever they want to do. But now they're not contesting that space. You know, they are, but they're not contesting it as well. Now Dooku is, is is sitting on that space at the proper elevation, and he counts, and they essentially don't unless he's moved off. Yeah. All right. Well, from that conversation, now that we know what range attacks requirements are, melee attack requirements are, and that engagement range talk, let's go into resolving an attack. Uh, Matt, I believe you have that one for us. Yeah, first we'll talk about the dice. Um so we got two different types of dice in this game. We have an eight-sided attack dice and a six-sided defense dice. Um, there's going to be one critical face uh, on the attack dice. Um, strike's going to be three of those faces. Expertise is going to be two. And failure is going to be two on the attack dice. Uh, your defense dice, uh, you're going to have two blocks, two defense, two failure. So it's a little more predictable. Um, so that, that's your dice you're going to be rolling. You'll get your number of dice pool that you can generate from attacks or defense for range and melee off your stance card. Uh, if you look at your stance card, you'll have a gray triangle and a blue square for, for your range attacks and your melee attacks. That will determine how many dice you roll for those pools for that attack or defense. <clears throat> Once you roll those, uh, you can also trigger your, you'll see on your stance card, your expertise charts that will add to your defenses or attacks. Um, they'll be in the bottom left or bottom part of your card below your combat tree. Uh, you'll have one that denotes for your melee. You'll have the little melee symbol. Uh, you'll have one for range if you have one there. And then you'll have one for defense. So some characters might have all three of those options. Some will only have two. let's see what else we got in the expertise charts so and right above your expertise charts is your combat trees so your combat tree is going to have multiple options for you to choose from you must start on the left left side of the combat tree on one of the orange squares so you would start at that one and work your way across for your number of successes that got through which is your critical hits and your successes that were or strikes that were not blocked. Um, you'll just choose your path. Uh, so your next choice has to f- uh, be connected to your choice that you're on by either going up, down, or right. So some people have more complicated trees than others. So uh, some people have pretty simple ones that just go almost in a straight line and maybe very straight up, straight up or straight down or straight straight right. Uh, 
I'm trying to pull one up to give you an example. So if you look at Ahsoka's uh, Jarkai uh, stance card, that side of it, she has her first block is an orange one. It only goes to the right. <laughs> the second one, the third option only goes to the right. But on her four options, she has uh, to, a choice to make. She can either go to the top track or the bottom track. And then she'll have to stay on that track connecting uh, going forward. Yeah, if you look at something like the the two twelve uh, clone troopers, they have four spots and they're all in a straight line. So it's just pretty simple for them. Yeah, then you get you get some crazy ones that have two starting points. Uh, one of Dooku's stance cards has two starting options. Then comes to a they both go to the same one. Then it spreads back to two. So I mean, you have a lot of interesting choices on depending on your stance. Yeah, does any of them have two starting points besides Dooku's? Uh, who do, I mean, there are other people who have two starting points, I think. Uh, the Clan Kree's commandos have two starting points. Uh, uh, Kenobi's just different because he's got one starting point, but he goes, like, down, and then, like, one of them, when his down then splits again. And it gets, it gets pretty funky. He has, he has, he has that on both sides, actually, in a way, but they just look a little different, but they kind of split. So, like I was saying, like if you look at uh, Ahsoka's Jarkai, it's pretty straightforward. She has one starting point and goes a straight line until it splits at her fourth option. Uh, if you want, there's some other people that have like two starting points, like the Crank Crease uh, Mandos. Uh, you can pick which one on the left to start which. It comes down, they both come to the same option, then split again. Or if you look at Obi Wan's card, uh, he has a starting point. Then you can either go up to the left or you can go down since it's still connected to your original uh, starting point without going left to continue along his tree. So you have a lot of interesting options and they got a lot of design space that can go forward with these combat trees. That's very interesting. Um, You can never choose the same option twice on a combat tree. Um, A player may never choose an option to the left, like I already said. Um, I don't think you guys have anything that you want to add to the combat trees. This it's actually one of my favorite parts of this game. You can also uh, choose to just stop. Yes, that is actually a rule that I very recently caught, uh, and by very very recently, I mean today. Um, you can literally just if you have five successes, so you get five pips. But let's say there's an a pip you just don't want to do. Like let's say for some, whatever reason you're not wanting to push your um opponent even further away um let's say like if if you give them one more push it would put them in engagement range with like one of your like ranged attackers you can actually just choose to stop on the tracker and just not progress any further i mean a great a great reason for that as an example would be if you're playing anakin and you know that by finishing off the rest of your five successes that you are not going to be able to uh injure or wound, sorry, wound the character, then you can say, well, I'm going to stop right here so that I can now attack them again. Because if I push them, then that means they're no longer, you know, engaged with me and I can no longer double attack them. Right. Yeah, but on push, you always have that option to follow up, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. 
but maybe you are. Maybe you on don't want point. to, because then you maybe you yeah. won't contest anymore. Exactly. Who knows? I don't know. Right. I'm just giving you a, a situation. There's lots Who of knows? options. Uh, one thing though is if uh, you you continue along your path and you're like say you had enough successes and you've you're gone all the way to the far right or along that path, you can go. Those extra successes are just lost, so you don't get anything extra if you complete your whole tree. Going yeah, going on right. like that. It's a it's a nice balancing, uh, a way to balance the game, because instead of like as an example, we keep using for using MCP as our example because you know that's this is technically an MCP podcast before we split it, but like so we have that as our audience. So we assume you know much about Marvel Crisis Protocol, but also the idea is that uh, there are spikes that happen and damage can get pretty crazy in that game. But this way, uh, if you play a character, the AMG is able to control how much damage this character can spike at. They cannot spike higher than X numbers because they control where the damage is, how things move. And if you get an insane roll, it doesn't matter because the tree ends. Right. It's it's definitely way more of a controlled design space it gives amg a lot more power to have characters do what they want them to do so you guys were mentioning just to backtrack a little bit that you can have the option to stop and not do it where did you guys see that in the rules great now you got to bring it make a look uh- <laughs> well, i mean the reason why i asked that is because uh the attack character has successes remaining in their attack role after all roles been modified it is on page 29 it's the little ahsoka blurb oh it's the oh, snip yeah. snippet the snippet the snippet yeah, it, it's the snippet yeah it's in yeah. the ahsoka snippet on page 29 if a player right- does not wish to apply an option from their combat tree they may choose to stop advancing the tree even if successes from their attack remain stopping in this manner forfeits the remainder of their successes once a player has chosen to apply an option from their combat tree they must apply all the listed effects in that option thanks yeah that's a good snippet uh, in the rule book because it doesn't really read that in the combat tree part of the section because it's it's in an awkward spot like the well, fact that they put it at the very option. beginning of making an attack. Yeah, because it says checker choosing is one option for each remaining success doesn't tell you that you can't stop right there in the combat tree part of the It uh, is very uh, hard to write rule books. Right. Yeah. Right. Kenny is gonna hate us this episode. Yeah, he's gonna have really, a, lot, a lot of work. I say you keep it. <laughs> I don't yeah, I mean it, sh- it shows that like it's easy to overlook things. Uh, yeah. even we're all three reading at the same This time. is a good conversation piece, I think, because it's you know it's hard to read rule books. I have read this rule book twice over, and I am still learning things. Uh, nobody should be expected to look at real read a forty plus page document and expect to have it memorized and perfect. Yeah, retain everything. Yeah. All right. So on those combat trees, we'll we'll keep going. Uh, they have. Uh, Icons that represent what happens from those effects. Uh, we covered them a lot in our, our first rules episode on the directed effect icons. So you have damage. Um, so that will add one damage to the damage pool. You have shove, um, which push, uh, shoves, pushes the character range one away or yeah, away from the character and the attacking character can follow up range one as well. Uh, you can apply strained. You can apply disarmed. You can apply exposed and pinned. 
uh, personal effects uh, are the ones that goes for your character. So you have advances, you have climbs, you have dashes, you have jumps, you have repositions, which will even let you get out of a uh, out of engagement, even if the engaged person is wounded. Uh, heal action or recover action, um, and then the active ability uh, icon. Yeah, uh, but like, if you, yeah, if you want to hear more about those, I know we talked about them in our earlier rules episode. Yeah, go, go listen to the first rules episode, and you can definitely check all of that in, out in more detail. Um, one thing I noticed here, too, on the shove, I guess the example we were trying to give of like why you would stop on your tracker wasn't a good one, because it says you may push. Uh, you do not have to do the shove, like the push action, if you get a shove. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, good to know. Something else that I think is uh, important to try to connect when you're looking at this card and understanding it is that uh, the, the iconography that they use is intentional. Uh, the gray triangles is a symbol for an eight-sided die, and they are the color of the dice. Uh, similarly, the, with the six-sided dies, it's, that's the symbol of a six-sided die, and it's the same color. If you look at the defense at the, the to know what is the defense expertise it is using the die face for defense expertise which is different than the attack expertise die face so they have very intentionally tried to make it so that you can connect these things using the symbols that are on these cards yeah they try to make it as easy as possible for you to try to calculate this stuff so yeah and I think you have, what, one last thing to go over for Yeah, we're going to talk about the damage pool. So you don't just apply damage straight away uh, once you determine all your effects. You put it all in a pool first. Um, so each one of those combat steps in the tree, you'll add damage to the pool if it has error. Some of them have two. They range from one to three per, per square, it seems like. But usually one to two is most of them. Uh so when a, co- a chosen combat tree or attack expertise chart has damage icon in it, like I said, add it to a pool that applies as think it step nine is what Matt told us earlier. Matthew told us earlier. Uh, that uh, sounds right to me. Um, after attacks, yes. yeah, fully resolved, then you apply all that damage to that character at one time. Uh, there can be special rules that can modify or affect a damage pool before it's dealt on there, though such as like protection will reduce it um, and some other keywords that might change that damage pool before it actually gets applied. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so out, after all that, I think there's one thing to add as well. Um, Continue. We talked about kind of stance cards within this topic here. Um, your primaries have double-sided stance cards, so they can actually switch from one face to another and you can only do that switch once per activation um so you can either like if you're on a side you want to do an attack on you can stay on that side do the attack and then afterwards you can flip it to uh to have like maybe a better defense if the other side has that or um there are obviously other scenarios you can do with that as well um but yeah outside of that this wonderful information um anything to add to that matthew um you know, and I don't have the answer to this, but that, that does pose a good question. So there's not a lot of situations where you would look at, well, what 
how can I like affect the, how can me flipping the stance card really change an effect of how things are? So Anakin uh, Skywalker has the ability, I'm going to end this. And I wonder if there is a window between his first attack and then him using the reactive ability, I'm going to end this, that he is able to then switch his stance, if that makes sense. Like there could be scenarios where you have one stance and then for the second attack, you want to switch to the other stance for, let's say as an example, you'd want to deal a bunch of damage and then you see that they only have like one or two health left. So then you want to switch the stance to the one that gets healing so that you can then easily deal that damage you know, theoretically, by just getting one result, but then you have the possibility for, you know, shove doing shoves and heals and repositions. I feel like, and we need a forum probably to really confirm this, but I don't think that there is a window since it's a reactive ability for him to be able to flip his stance. Yeah, that's that's my uh, knee jerk answer. But yeah, I would say uh, no, since it says after you make that combat action is is the trigger. So I don't think you would have a, a chance either. But you better believe as soon as that forum gets gets launched, I'm posting that question. Get in the forums. Will, will that make Get you finally an play Anakin? I don't have a problem with Anakin. Don't let Candy tell you lies. <laughs> I just think he's the weakest character in the core box. That's it. I still think he's good. That's a bold, bold statement. <laughs> All right. So going from this, we have kind of like the final cluster of this of just within the rule books um, of damaging units and what that entails. Matthew, what do you got for us? So there are essentially three states that occur from damaging units. There's becoming wounded, becoming injured and becoming defeated. So when you're, attacked or i guess it doesn't have to be attacked it could be you know Django fed has that out of activation uh, ability to damage people so he could theoretically wound somebody from that but once you've received enough damage that is equal to or greater than your stamina value you immediately become wounded uh when and so when you're wounded wounded characters themselves do not contest objective tokens and they cannot suffer more damage. They cannot have damage removed from them. And if they had an activation, they got activated and Django uh, wounded them from his ability, their activation immediately ends. Now, something that is very important to uh, understand, and this is another case where uh, essentially, as a wise, wise alien once said, you must unlearn what you have learned. Uh, everyone and who has played Marvel Crisis Protocol immediately connects being wounded to being dazed. And let me tell you, shoot that right out of your brain. They are very different things. They are and, not no, the same. Yeah, they're definitely not the same. The only... The only thing that they share a similarity to is that they that wounded and dazed characters do not contest objectives. And then outside of that, all the rules that you have for dazed characters don't really apply for wounded characters. Wounded characters can still be targeted by attacks. Wounded characters can still have conditions applied to them. Wounded characters can still use their reactive abilities. However, they have to spend one force more for each wounded token on them. 
They have the ability, you can even have, as an example, if Captain Rex is wounded, he has an ability where if he, if one of his clone troopers does an attack, then he can, after the attack, spend a force, do a dash, and then do a five dice uh, melee or ranged attack against that character. So Captain Rex, even when he's wounded, can spend two force, one for the ability and then one for the wounded token, to then dash and then make that five dice attack, even though he's wounded. So wounded characters are very much uh, part of what is happening on the board. They still exist and they still do things. The only thing that they do not do is contest objective tokens. That was good information, Matt. But Matthew, but that uh, that Molly's first kid won't trigger while you're wounded. Oh, okay. Well, I don't have the card in front of me, but that's the example. It, it yeah. specifically states it, but that's also the reason they have to specifically state it because uh, there are abilities that still trigger when they they have those. Yeah, those tokens. Yeah, Maul's a good example because like you can still use some of his stuff while uh, while he's wounded, but you just can't spend his uh, stamina to activate for force powers. Right. And there could be characters that come out that, you know, proc certain abilities to then happen, and they might still work on wounded characters unless they say otherwise. So that is essentially wounded. Uh, it is very important to, gr- to, to grok that in your head that the characters still are on the board. Just think of them. They took a hit. You know, they can't really hold on to that point, but they're still there. They're still doing stuff. Uh, they're obviously also when they're wounded, this affects other rules that say when a character is wounded, they can't do these things, such as wounded characters do not engage other characters as well. They do not prevent the climb. They do not prevent you from uh, making your full advance. So they do not prevent you from making ranged attacks. So wounded has effects in those factions, fashions as well, but those are, are handled in other parts of the rule book. I see, I see. Uh, so then what would be the difference between wounded and injured? So at the beginning of a wounded unit's activation, it flips that wounded token to its injured side, removes all the damage, and then removes one condition. The unit, when you're injured, the only real difference, unless there is something that is you know, specified uh, that you know in a future release, the only real difference is that for every injured token that you have, you have to spend an additional force for any active or reactive ability. And that counts for ability re- reactive abilities that do not cost force, such as Mandalorians are stronger together is a, an ability that costs is a reactive ability that costs zero force. But if you are injured, then that means you have to spend a force to use the the reactive ability. I actually that's, did not know that. It's easy to forget. I, I didn't realize that until earlier either, but it's also, so if you have two wounded or injury tokens, it's going to cost you two. God, yeah. do, doing this episode is just blowing my mind left and right. This is yeah. great. And if you're someone like Maul, uh, who has that very expensive two force ability, it would cost him three force in order to do the things that he wants to do with that because and that is a quite the price to pay and let me tell you for playing this game the the force expenditure when your characters start getting injured 
really racks up quickly when you only have six force and a lot of activations. Yeah, it, it, you spend it a lot faster than you realize. Yeah, and the final bit is when you become defeated. And then after a unit's activation, if the unit has injured tokens equal to or exceeding its durability, it is defeated. All characters in a defeated unit are removed from the battlefield. If the defeated unit's order card is um, is outside of the order deck, you then you can uh, remove it. Uh, and then if it shows up in the order deck, then you remove it and then draw another card. Um, so basically what that means is you had your character, let's say Bo-Katan, she has two durability and she's got two, she's got one wounded token on her and one injured token on her. Then she activates the, the last wounded token flips to injured. She now has two injured tokens. She does her whole activation. She does everything she needs to do. She can even score that point. And then she's removed from the battlefield. That's nice to have like uh, one last hurrah with a character before they're uh, removed. Um, it lets you definitely still have, have the aspect of like still getting to play with your toys, even though you're, you know, like maybe you're getting like the bad end of the stick on some dice and things like that. You can still kind of do some cool stuff with your cool models. Yeah, there's nothing worse like getting a model freshly painted up, want to jam a game with it, and then like it dies before you can even do anything with it. <laughs> right, just gets dumpstered. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, the, essentially what the game is telling you is that your character is like is going to get three activations. You'll get to do three, at least three activations with this freshly painted model that you brought to the table before it's removed from the board, because. They're not. It's not getting dazed on its first activation. At least we don't have any kind of drop-off cable things that are happening now. So they're not getting hit in deployment. So they get their activation to move up and do whatever they want to do. Then they might get dazed. They get might get wounded, sorry. And then, then they activate, and then they can do their thing, and then they might get wounded. And then they can activate, they can do their thing, and then they're defeated. And most primaries have three durability, so they get a further activation. So... It's it's it adds to the fact that it's the idea of removing models is not the uh, sole game plan that you can bring to the game. Right. I think the only primary that has only two is uh, Maul, right? At this time. At, the, at this time, of course. Um, so you, going back to you mentioned like being wounded when like when you're wounded, you can still be targeted by attacks. Uh, do you still take damage? No, because it specifically says that unit, wounded units cannot suffer damage or have damage removed from them. All right. Good but you know. can have, it says nothing about conditions being added to them. So That's one true. of the one of the things you'll note is that, uh, that when you flip from wounded to injured, you remove one condition. And also, you know, pe- wounded characters could be healed. There's no reason why wounded characters can't be a target for a recover or heal. Uh, so... Uh, shooting them again can make it so that when they do wake up and become injured, they might not be as effective because they can only remove one of those conditions. They might have multiple on them, and now they have to figure out which one they're going to choose, which one they're going to get rid of, and then they still have to deal with the other ones. 
that's a pretty good strategy actually just like yeah if you don't have, really have like a good option with the character they just only have like that wounded character in their range they can still go ahead and make that attack and just try to like load them up with some conditions so when they do reactivate and become injured from wounded now they're only removing one and they're still suffering the effects of whatever else uh conditions that are left on them yeah you can still push them um another thing is uh remember you can't double stack conditions uh on persons so like if you try to put the same type of condition out they're just gonna suffer another damage that they won't take yeah and they also can be pushed if you attack them and there's a push on your on your uh, card, you could you could shoot them just to push them even farther away, so their activation's less. Or you could just shoot them so you can push them, so you can get a follow up, so you can get into a better position. Yep, that is uh, to me that is uh, some spicy sauce right there. Like being able to like if you need to want try to like hit like a double move trigger, but there's only like this wounded character in range, so you just move, attack them, just get like a reposition trigger to move again. Like ah, oh, just the possibilities are great. Or it can also, you know, make their, when they activate and become uh, injured, make that activation, you can kind of like stagger them because if you push them out of range of contesting or engaged, uh, that way they have to spend some type of resource to get back into that zone. Right. And so even if they have like a, uh, an ability that lets them come back in, well, now they're, you know, they're still wounded. So they have to spend that extra force to even do it. Yeah, there's a lot there with that. Definitely the meat and potatoes of the game. It's just like, it's the combat in, of this game, I feel. All right. From that, let's go to a good question that we kind of came up with of just why attack in this game? Um like why are so going over through the combat and seeing how it works like why would we even want to fight instead of just like run around and snagging points um so combat in this game just offers a lot of these nuance of abilities that you're able to do like to your opponent trigger stuff for yourself they've attached all these great like repositioning tools from like a dash to again the reposition ability um to, and to adding effects to your opponents like status conditions pushes a lot of that stuff is baked into the combat itself instead of just being abilities on your character's cards and to me like just the design of that and how like it makes it to where combat and like attacking is just so meaningful in this game um and gives you a lot of incentive to do so uh matt what about you do you kind of agree with those uh statements uh yeah i agree with that and then another thing for me in this game is i those stance cards and your attacks really in my opinion, give you the true flavor of that character. And it lets them like express how that character actually does. Cause like you got some people who do a lot are really good at putting out damage like Anakin or Maul. And uh, you got some people who are like just shoving, shoving their, uh, their opponents around, pushing them back or, you know, using that to like reposition, like you said themselves. And my favorite uh, part about it is like triggering using your attacks to trigger your uh, your active abilities, so like that way you don't have to spend your for, your force resource since they're free if you trigger them from your attack tree. So like Asajj is a big one, getting her attack tree, so you get that active, so you can use her force push to push people off points. That range three push is is a lot 
bigger than you think it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have a, in my one little mock-up demo game I've done, uh, being able to like range three, push three. Oh, <laughs> so strong. So, so strong. Uh, Matthew, what about you? What, what do you want to add to this? You know, I think this is the part of the game that's going to be one of the longer things to learn and grok exactly why you attack. I mean, the game is clearly designed around the combat. Uh, you know, in previous uh, game, you know, like again, com- comparing it to Marvel Crisis Protocol, it, there's always been the, this give and take of do characters want to even attack or do you want to just double move away? and just score points but the way this game is at least how it currently is that it's in its inception it's it's designed around the idea that you well you can only do one move so you can't double move you uh, you can move people onto points but just moving people onto points isn't necessarily enough because you have to remove people from points if you want to score uh you know there's there's just so much in there so it and, and then you have all of these abilities and the way to get people off of points is all kind of built into the attacks. It's not without, except for a few exceptions, most people don't really have to deal, don't, don't have a way to control outside of getting that trigger in their attack tree. But I also don't know. I'm still learning. You know, I've only played a couple of games, you know, about five games uh, as a proxy. And, you know, I am not entirely certain yet what is the right call? You know, there's always that decision of, is it better to attack or to do something else? And I'm still learning that one. I am. I I can definitely agree with that. I think, um, kind of harking to like what you're saying here too. Um, one thing I've heard about a lot with this game and it's kind of bleaking into something else. I want to talk a little bit further in this episode, um, is kind of like the length of the these games like even though you know we're just really dipping our toes into this um the game is a bit longer than like your typical game of like mcp um by at least like a you know if saying if your average game of mcp is about an hour to an hour and a half you might want to tack on like an extra 30 minutes to that at least for this game like where your average game here is going to be an hour and a half to two hours i feel um a lot of that has to do with like how intricate the combat is and like how often you're doing things i think it's just there's also just more models like think of it think of the how a a higher threat marvel crisis protocol games tend to last longer than lower threat ones. And that's usually because you have a lot more models. And regardless of what the situation is, you have, you know, six models on each side. So it's essentially a six V six every game. So it makes the, it, it does drag out the game. And the fact that those models don't get removed as easily as models do in Marvel crisis protocol. If you go wide, sometimes a character gets KO'd before it even gets to activate. And that's, one less activation you have to deal with that doesn't happen in this game you just that character is going to get that activation yes this is also another factor i think something else to note which is also trying to wrap my head around is the idea that uh, you there's no comeback there's no penalty in terms of power gain 
you can shoot people and it doesn't matter. They're not gonna if you deal damage to them, they don't gain power that they can then use to use back at you. You there's no negative effect of shooting people, except there are characters that deal damage to you when you do something like roll a failure result. And that has been the part that has really, I guess, made me the most timid on the battlefield, which is that I don't want to shoot Ahsoka because she just gets this free ability to deflect you know, two damage back at me if I happen to roll one failure. And there's two, there's two failures on each of those dice. So it's very possible that you're going to roll that failure. Uh, that, that those are the only situations that I've ever been really timid. I've gone through games where I just don't shoot Ahsoka because I'm just afraid they're gonna, she's just going to do two damage and then activate and roll up and wipe out my character. Yeah. Um, I do think that's an interesting way to put it of like changing the incentives here where, you know, comparatively from like a, you know, power source like MCP has to like, yeah, sure. I can do damage, but then you're going to think I'm feeding them power to, do what they want to do on their kit to this game being like well there's no such thing as that however characters certain characters will have abilities of like oh you had a failure in that role well now you're taking two or three damage um it's definitely a, a shift um but i do think it's a good design to like have at least have some characters that have something like that i also like how it's usually a mix of like it won't be both right like it's either ranged attacks or it's melee attacks that we've seen so far (laughs) right right and and also Um, remember even if you you can't even be like well maybe if i just if i wound her then she won't be able to do it but she still can you wound her and she just now she has to spend a force but she still can spend a force and then deflect back at you yes that is huge too that's a good point there matthew uh any matt did you want to add anything else to this before we moved on to some uh questions no i think we basically said it all i mean I mean, the main reason in this game, I mean, they're in a war after all. I mean, they, they're they there to fight. They're there to, and that's how you trigger a lot of extra powers. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the main reason why to attack. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a the game is very action packed. That is for sure. Um, so I wanted to ask, since now we're kind of like a wrap up of our rules episodes here. Um, I want to ask just a couple of small questions. Um, just for since we've kind of got over that, uh, have there been any rules that you guys have found that have been easy to miss? Um, I think even like rehearsing for this episode, we we even caught some things too, uh, <laughs> as we kind of discussed earlier. Um, Matt, let's start with you. Have there been like any like rule, a couple rules, or one or two that you've like found that's like you've overlooked? I think they both actually were in this episode. <laughs> one that you can stop on your combat tree that you don't have to complete the whole thing. Because uh, if you don't see that snippet from uh, the beginning of the combat section, then you might miss that part, like I did. Um, another one that's easy to miss or not understand is the wounded aspect. Because, like, I'm proxying a game, you know, we played so much Marvel, and then, like, all right, so I'm standing next to this uh, the Super Commandos. I can just now move away for free and not take the damage from uh, their ability. I'm like, no, that's not the case. I actually have to still take it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Um, yeah, that, those are definitely great examples. Um, I know the the stopping on the combat tree was another one for me too. Um, I was just going through those sections, and I was like, "Oh, um, okay, well that's a thing." 
Um, what about you, Matthew? Uh, anything for you? Well, you don't know what you don't know. So <laughs> I'm sure this <laughs> stuff. Stuff. Uh, I would say, though, if I had to say one thing that we haven't talked about, but is related to combat, is cover. Uh, there's one thing about cover that is incredibly unintuitive. And maybe we're still reading it wrong. But so with cover, it says the defending one of the requirements for cover is for cover. And that's cover is when you add one die to your defense roll. Uh, the defending player must be within range one of one or more terrain parts at the same or higher elevation than the attacking character. So where that gets unintuitive is that if you are, you know, this game is a game of elevation and there are gantries as an example. And gantries have these are like these bridges that, you know, you can move through because you know there's no space underneath. So if you are a character that is standing within range one of a bridge that is above you, and somebody tries to shoot you through that bridge, even though you're not standing like at like the base, like where the, the poles that are coming out that are holding up the gantry, you're just standing out in the open, but you are within range one of the bridge above you, and even though the attacking character is on your elevation. You get cover. Yeah, I've been hearing about that and seen examples. And yeah, I know they've probably writ, writ the rules or have written the rules rather um, like that just for ease of play. But yeah, it, it definitely that's like one of the only things in this game that kind of take me a little bit out of it is just like, ah, like that. Like it's a wide open space. Why are you getting cover right now? So here is the one part where I feel like it doesn't work like this. And I've been looking at this all day because I feel like this cannot be the rule. And I feel like, again, I'm going to ask this question. One of the questions I want to ask when the rules forum comes out, and I'm pretty sure the answer is that when you shoot that person, you do not get cover. And this is why. The other clause that says a straight line can be drawn from any portion of the attacking character's base to any portion of the defending character's base through any number of those, of those terrain parts. So I think that since the terrain is above you, you are not drawing the straight line through that bridge and therefore you do not get the cover. But I have not been able to convince anyone that that is accurate. So I need an official ruling AMG. But that is why I think it is not true and that you do not get cover in this scenario. But I, because of the because of the the confusion on it and because we're not used to this, I think there needs to be some clarification. Yeah, um, I'm highly in agreement to that. Like those forums need to drop. We got questions. <laughs> they need to be answered. And that is definitely one of the main ones in my book. Um, I think there's going to be a lot outside of like the timing chart stuff that we mentioned earlier. I think cover rules are going to be huge on the forums. And and just to, to tag onto that, um, something else that I did not get. Hunker tokens don't by themselves add a dice. It's not like you're getting a hunker die. You are get what a hunker token technically does is it gives you cover one. So where that is important is that if you're facing someone like Gar Saxon, 
who ignores cover. And you might sit there and say, okay, well, I, I don't get my cover, but I have my hunker token, so I get my hunker. You do not. Yeah, because the hunker yeah. gives a style of cover, right? Correct. Like, it is a oh, stackable, okay. it's stackable cover, but it is still cover. Huh. That is very interesting. I think Cody has that too. Yeah, Cody has that as well. Jeez. But anyone who just has that, it's just it's just the idea to to think of that hunker is not its own separate thing. It is a thing that grants you cover. That is definitely good to know. Well, I guess I'll add on to this. I'll answer. You know, this is my take of it all. Uh, the one rule I know outside of like what we already been discussed, a couple things here, um, and we were discussing this kind of prior to this episode was uh, mission setup. Um, apparently we all just completely missed the clause <laughs> that you do deploy. Like, you set up the mission to objective tokens. You do, then do deployment. And then after that, you flip over the first struggle and reveal which points are active. <laughs> I think every game that I've like heard about witnessed, played, um, we have, looked at that first struggle, flipped those points, and then have gone to deployment. Yeah. And that's important because uh, a perfect example of this, uh, I had played Matt, and he gotcha'd me by placing... We had uh, the scenario where the corners all were active, and he placed all of his characters on each of the corners, and essentially what happened was I activated first, I did a thing, and then he controlled his, his corners because at the end, at the end of every turn, you check to see who controls what. So now he controls his corners without even having to activate. And that is still something you can do. But if you don't know that the one that's getting flipped is the corners, you don't know what corners, if any corners, are going to be uh, active. Although I think, you know, in most scenarios, you're going to have at least one corner activated but that means you kind of can't you don't have that perfect information of where you're placing your primaries to to accurately affect the battlefield because you don't know what's going to be important right yeah you're definitely kind of like taking a gamble on if you're just like oh like i'm gonna bank that this corner one is going to be an active one i'm going to deploy one of my squads over here. Uh, I think the only one in the first mission set that we know is like a guarantee will be an objective is like the center point. The one in the very middle is like always on struggle one in specific, like not on all of them, just on the first struggle, the center point will be one of the active ones. Right. And that's just with the, the core. Right. Yeah. With this particular mission set. Correct. Well, I think with this mission set, I think you're, right corner is uh, has a two-thirds chance of being active so yeah. right uh no, it's it's a it's it's even there's one so there is one that is uh just the your your, your center the center ones are active and the side one is active the side ones are active but none of the corners are active and there's one of them that is kind of like one of your corners and then the opposite of their corners and then the middle ones, uh, the, uh, you know, across the line, across the midline are, are active. And then in the other one, the midlines are all active and then the opposite corners are. So there's actually, it Not is a third chance for any of there them. There is a one when, for every time you choose one of your 
points, you have a one-third chance that that point is going to be active. So you can just set up on two of them and cover your bases for two of them. Right. Although, also, that's not necessarily accurate because I'm looking at these cards right now, and I know that we played a game where it was the star shape. And so I don't know what's 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 real, but I'm looking I'm looking at three um, stage one struggle tokens, and none of, and we've played on one that was none none of those three. So I haven't seen the unboxing videos. So, but there's there's the possibility. You don't know what's go, what's going to be what. Yeah, I mean, we need That's to get this game in our enough. hands. I mean, we got what, a little over a month now, a little less, June second. Yeah. All right. So the other question I have before we get on to listener questions is give me one thing about the game you have and like that you've seen, tried out, that you've enjoyed, and one thing you have disliked. And Matt, we'll start with you. Okay. The one thing that I have enjoyed has been the combat trees. Uh, that's probably my, my favorite thing so far about this game. Um, and the, another thing is uh, how much the elevation actually matters. But it actually is one thing I dislike because if those elevations don't have a lot of room upstairs, then you can actually like get yourself like in a bad spot where you can't get enough people to take a, take control of the objective. So I, I like and I, I dislike that at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you on the, the elevations because I feel this, this game more than... Uh, other games that I've played, the having the wrong terrain set up could just be an incredible negative experience. Um, just based on height, the height being have, making sure it's range two or above range two, and then making sure it's wide enough because you could just be in a situation where you're just, I mean, I played a game and I just basically body blocked by putting one model in the middle of a terrain piece that nobody could sit on. Essentially the only way that they could do anything is to kill that model or push it off, I guess. But, you know, I mean, I guess that's part of the game. That could be part of the game. I don't know. But, you know, it's possible that with a, not a well-designed terrain setup, it could create a very negative experience. Yeah. I can definitely see scenarios where like, you know, if it's like one particular point of your like nine with this mission set, like sure that's probably fine in most situations but like if you have like your whole like a gantry in the middle that's holding like all three middle objectives that are just like can are just like uh very constrained on all three that i can see that being a big problem yeah uh so matthew what about you uh something you like something you don't like so i i mean the game is fun like that's something I like. I don't know even know what to put my my finger on it. Uh, you know, it's I have not. Uh, I've played five games. I've only won one, and <laughs> so I haven't been winning. But I've been enjoying the 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 game, and I'm not sure why. It's just I like the characters. Uh, I think it's a very balanced game, all things considered. Uh, I think that it it creates a lot of puzzles. So I guess the thing that I dislike. Sometimes it just, and again, this could just be me, and it's not really in the game itself. Maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe it's my. The game needs to be, you know, evolve a little bit because when they're designing this game, they probably have like a almost a year, like a year's worth of characters already built. 
uh, and we just don't have access to those characters. But sometimes I just feel like I don't have the necessary options to create a balanced enough squad. Like I look up, I go up against someone who's playing Asajj and Asajj goes over and she pushes somebody off and then she attacks somebody else and then pushes them off, off with their attack. And she's able to move two models. And I'm sitting here with my, you know, Ahsoka Tano, who's able to go over there and make one attack. And that one might push someone off. And then I can't really do anything else. Like I can find myself in scenarios where I'm like, well, I, I don't know what to do with this character because this character can't actually affect the board state because of how the because the character just lacks the control to do anything. So I guess I have to activate them because the order deck tells me to. But what am I doing with this character? And and that could be a case of I just have not seen the Matrix well enough yet, or it could be a case of you you know we only really have like. We don't have a lot. We don't have a lot of options to mix and match with your with your squads. Yeah, I think um, the first couple months will be a little a little bit limiting. Um, but I do think like once the game hits like you know five six months in, and of course going further from that, it'll definitely flesh out. Like it's even like with like a lot of the characters that are coming out on drop, like Obi Wan, like Ahsoka, uh, the Mandos. Like you're gonna get more options to add them in and flesh out these abilities that trigger on like you know Galactic Republic or Separatists. You know, because as we get more of those um, keyword units, um, then you'll have these like oh like Kalani, like oh cool, she can really benefit from like B one droids, and we know like the Magna Guard. But then like when the B two droids come out, or like when like the Jordicas eventually come out, like we we know that she just gets better and better as these other style of models come out. Um, but it does feel limiting from launch. Um, I guess I'll give mine uh, the thing I like a, a lot about the game, uh, really for the flavor. Um, as you mentioned earlier, um, you kind of both have at certain different points in time, just the characters. Uh, the, I think they've really hit the nail on the head on a lot of these characters on like the feel um, with like the, how the combat works. I like how they didn't make it to where, you know, with MCP, you have like named attacks and what like that, how you're just attacking. So it's like essentially like you're doing an attack sequence. So if I do, you know, if I'm doing an attack and I'm rolling for these successes going down my combat tree, I don't imagine it as like, oh, I'm just hitting you once. No, I'm imagining it as like a whole like combat sequence. Like as I'm going down this combat tree of like, I hit this dash here, I got to jump here. Like it's like, very engaging and like if you have the headspace for it like it's very immersive to me um whereas something i don't like uh and it's i guess it's something i kind of harking back to you to matthew of just like maybe how it is of me as a gamer is embracing how much rng is in this game because there's a lot yeah, that was that was that was going to be the other one I was thinking of saying. Yeah, the fact that it's you know not only is it a dice game, but on top of it being a dice game, you have your order deck. Um, so you're you know you're randomly drawing what unit's going to go. Like don't get me wrong, they have the reserve ability, which you know helps mitigate, and you have your Shatterpoint card, 
And you have Obi-Wan Kenobi. And you have Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) And you got characters like, you know, Kalani or the B1 droids. Right. So, like, they have characters. It's good to see they are designing characters that kind of help. Like, so if if that's one of your issues, they have characters for you that help you work around that. Um, But then also, even harking from, or like moving from that, rather, um, you have the like struggle twos and struggle three of like the first uh, mission set. How you at the beginning of every single turn you roll a die to determine what point is going to be worth two, and sometimes it's just going to be your opponent's back corner that you have nothing by, and you're just like, well, I guess you get two extra points, you know, like two points instead of one this turn, or even just it'll like happen four times in a row. Or, right. or even just like I was saying, like you have your Sokotano and you, it's like, it's great. But uh, unfortunately, they have a Clan Kree's Commando and they have Bo Katan and they're both sitting on that point. And it doesn't matter that you're there. You can't do it. You literally have nothing that you can do about it because you, right. you can only, at best, move one. Exactly. Yeah. And this game is not like outside of like, if you're wounded, you're not contesting, but like if you're injured and I'm not injured, that doesn't matter in this game either. So like, I can't just move an uninjured character over there and be like, well, I take it from you because I'm not injured. Like that doesn't exist, which, you know, in its own right is a good thing, but at the same time, like it's just, that's not an option. And don't forget, there's also the RNG just based on where those active points are, because like we said before, we don't know what the active points are. From the first struggle, and then in the second, third struggle, you have a choice, but you still don't know what that is. So that's R. That is RNG, right? So like, and that's not to say the game can't be competitive if you want to look at that game or at the game from that lens, right? Uh, What it does is it creates puzzles on the fly for you to try to solve. Unfortunately, it there will be situations that there's not an answer. Um, which that can be a big feels bad at times, yeah. but you know, it is what it is. Like, I guess it just, it becomes down to, are you the kind of player that can embrace that RNG of this game and enjoy it? Because if you're not, maybe Shatterpoint is not the game for you. Um, and that to understand that and know that that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes you just miss that uncontested mutant madman role. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> All right. So from there, we're going to go ahead and like start to move towards wrap up. We got some listener questions. Looking to fulfill all of your plastic desires? Well, look no further than our sponsors. There's gamechefs.org where you can save an additional 15% off at their already discounted prices using the promo code GAMERSGUILD. That's capital G in GAMERS and then lowercase guild. And then you can use our codes with Tritex Gamings, our partners over in the EU. Um, go to their website, um, tritexgames.co.uk, um, and use the code TritexGGCP5. That's all capital Letters, Tritex, GGC, P5. Additionally, uh, you can support the guild through supporting us on Patreon. And additionally, if you just want to come and talk to us, come find us on Discord. The link will be in the show notes below. I have one from Dizzard here. I actually have two from Dizzard here. Uh, We'll start with this first one. Uh, Damage or conditions, which is 
which is generally better to impact during combat? Uh, Matt, let's start with you. I mean, it's all situational, but I think condition, my, my feeling condition is going to be better because it hampers what your opponent can do or it makes them have to spend like an action to do something they don't want to do to get rid of it, like a strain or it prevents them from using their expertise dice because there's some crazy attacks that do a lot off the expertise tree and like mandos have really good expertise for defense so i mean turning those off is uh it can be very key yeah uh matthew See, you? Th- this is this is just like dizzard this is how you know dizzard is a sith now, <laughs> he deals in these absolutes damage or conditions which is better which is even he's, he's trying to you know massage with generally better typical sith you know trying to try to make it seem like it's not as bad as it is like this question, you, you can't answer it because uh, it really, really depends on the situation. Like conditions are so debilitating; these conditions are really bad. Like I have, you know, seen the the expose go on, and then a character get one shot because that expose just shut off there. They they rolled like all expo uh, expertise, and that expertise would have given them like three blocks, but now they have none, and it's it really can these conditions are bad but if you're going up against a team like you know obi-wan and ahsoka those conditions don't last very long because they just there's so many heels in that in that kind of squad that you can easily just knock off these conditions so that they aren't as effective so then you rather have damage so that you can damage the characters so that they can no longer contest but then also you have to think about the state of like well you want to have you want to you want to you want to expose somebody but you want to expose somebody so that you can do damage to them. You want to disarm them so that they don't do damage to you. And that is why there there is no black and white. There is no this is this is a great question because they all work in harmony. They all work as one great force. You know, there there is they 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 are not separate from each other. They work together. Right. Uh, I'm actually in very high agreement with that. Um, it's the combination of the two. Um, and I don't think either one is necessarily better than the other. It becomes situational. Like if you're like here, I need to, I need to wound this character. Obviously damage is going to be better for you. Um, whereas, and there's a lot of times where if you're doing certain setups where you're just like, okay, I just need to pin this character here. Like I need to hit this pin trigger, make sure they don't go anywhere. Um, like it's very, it's going to be very situational on whenever there's a moment of like, I need this over that, but in the general, as he's mentioning here, generally better. Um, in the general aspects, I think it's just a combination of both. The fact that, as you just mentioned, like exposing a, or disarming the character so they don't like pop off on you without having their expertise tracker, um, or like if you're just trying to do more damage with like another unit where now they don't get to count their expertise tracker for defense. Like the combination of it all is so huge in this game um yeah uh, it's just a blend it should be noted at the time of recording because there's always more conditions that come out in these type of games there's only one condition that really um isn't damage related because disarm is to prevent is to prevent you being damaged exposes so you can damage better 
and strain, which is probably one of the worst ones, uh, is basically like you can't do anything or you take damage. Pinned is the, really the only one that doesn't deal damage. Right. Absolutely. But like in, in its own right, though, it's still such a strong condition. Yeah, it hinders like, you so much because you can't climb, you can't do or you can try to do it, but you used to remove the token. So, I mean, it prevents you from trying to do what you need to do to get to the points. Right. But yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those situations that I've found that is either completely and utterly debilitating and horrible and ruins everything you want to do with the character or does absolutely nothing. Like I've had situations where I'm like, well, I don't care. I'm already on the point I want. I don't really care about being pinned. Uh, and then I've also had points. Well, I get a free jump. Anyway, so I'm just going to do the free jump and the pin goes away now. And I don't jump, but like I didn't really need to, but I get it free. So now I don't have to worry about it. But then I've had situations where like, I just, I just need to move over there. <laughs> but I can't just move over there. I need to move over there and shoot somebody. And I can't do that when I'm pinned. But right. conditions can also turn into damage if you try to apply a second one. So, <laughs> Which is a really good rule. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's uh remove some a little bit of feels bad of like oh i got this trigger again and you already have that for the third time but um, it is important to look at the timing of those things because i have didn't something i thought was like well if somebody exposes me and then it, their ability puts expose on me when do i lose the expose or when do i take the damage and you do lose the expose um before certain effects might happen so it's important to look at when you would receive an expose and when you lose the expose so that they and whether they overlap or whether not you get them again. So it's important to pay attention to. Indeed. All right. So moving on from that then and kind of keeping a little bit of the same energy of like how this was mentioned was from Dizzard. Uh, healing off of combat. Could it be too strong, overrated or underrated, etc.? cetera? Um, Matthew, we'll start with you on this one. What a Sith. This guy, this guy, <laughs> he's trying to he's trying to poison our minds. We must be strong against him. Um, I don't think it is. I honestly don't think it is. I think that it's a good balance because, as we've said, the conditions are very debilitating. Uh, and that's actually even more the reason for healing being so plentiful is you can get a lot of conditions stacked on you and being able to heal those off is is the balance against it because if there was nothing you could do about it, it's just, it's a feels bad. There's no player agency healing as an option gives you that agency. Um, having your characters, having the balance of the combat trees, making it so that your damage output isn't insane means that your characters might not necessarily get one shot unless they're supports and therefore healing can make it so those characters still stick around longer. So they, the healing helps balance out when you do get those whatever spikes the combat tree does give you. Uh, so I I think again again uh, you have to take it up with AMG. They are balanced in the force. There you go, uh, Matt. What about you? I don't think it's too strong. I mean, you want to you want to play through toys. You don't want them to go away. So I mean, it just makes your toys last longer. Uh, I, it's probably underrated because it's not on a lot of attack trees. Um, but I I still think it's a good thing. Yeah, this I won't like I won't lie. I was very skeptical whenever I first saw that and like found out like how that actually worked. I was like, oh, well, surely it's just going to be like on the character that's doing it. Right. No, it's like, nope, it acts like a full heal, like you're doing the heal action. And I was like, ooh, that seems 
very powerful. Um, seeing it in play, like with the game I've played and like watching a couple games and whatnot, and I'm just, it's not, it, it's solid. I'll say that. I don't think it's underrated. I, but at the same time, I don't think it's overrated either. Like from what I've seen so far, it is like very like even keel. Like it's a good ability, but I have not seen moments where it's just like, well, that's just busted. I mean, I have played a game where, not for the lack of trying, my Sokotano ended up with full health at the end of the game. Like her, yeah, yeah th- she got attacked, but then somebody gets somebody is on the board gets you know wounded, and then she just does her movement, and it heals three. <laughs> yeah, she just keeps healing. She just keeps healing. <laughs> Hashtag never die. Never die. <laughs> All right, so we have a question here from Rylan. Uh, in your limited time testing, are there any weird or fun combos you've noticed? Uh, Matt, we'll go with you. Weird. Um, I haven't really noticed any weird ones. I think the the most fun one for me has been Mandos truly are stronger together. Because, I mean, if you're playing uh, Oops All Mandos, uh, even if you're intermingling like the Clan Crease going with Gar or... Uh, and the super commander is going with bow or just leaving them as they come in the core box. Um, their synergies together, getting to, you know, jump around, getting the free focus actions. I mean, that's, it's really good. Uh, same goes with all the extra clone stuff that they do when they're together. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm definitely in agreement with that. Uh, Matthew, what about you? Um, I haven't really found too much that's too weird, but I will say if you're looking for good combinations, I'm going to just point you over to this character, a little unknown character that nobody's really heard of named General Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) (laughs) Everything he does is just magic. Uh, He's the master, like the way he just casually just breaks core rules left and right just keeping hunker tokens the way the hunker tokens interact with the with the the clones i mean when i i think in the, when i was on the one time other time i was on this cast i had mentioned i wasn't too impressed with the clones and i'm still not entirely certain i think the clones are that phenomenal i think they kind of might benefit from more missions more mission variety because i think that these they, they don't really like to move but obi-wan kenobi makes those clones actually work because he's just so powerful making the combination of I, I don't remember what it is but there's some like combination where like he can just i mean you can have it if you have three cards left in the deck and he uses his uh his his patience ability so that you can basically decide how the order of those three cards happen because he decides how you have like the card in your reserve, you have Obi-Wan Kenobi and you have another card in your deck. And then suddenly you're like, okay, do I, I can now decide the order of those three cards. Thanks to patience. And then on top of that, I get a free jump and three heals. (laughs) Yeah, it seems really nice. He has my vote probably for like this on launch strongest character. Like Obi Wan is looks bonkers. So the my main question the... is: if you're using the higher ground uh, terrain pack, does that mean you automatically win? 
think you should, right? <laughs> I mean, you should just in general. It's Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. The, the only thing that balances out Obi Wan Kenobi is that he has three Force, and you kind of almost need to bring like Anakin with him because he uses Force. He want he like every single time he plays, he he's like a character who essentially wants to use like three Force on on his own from you know one go through the order deck like he's gonna he's always gonna want to jump because it gets insane dice and then his like deflect costs a force but it's so much better and um and so you want to spend it and if people shoot at him then he wants to get it and it stacks on it because he gains a hunker token when he uses it so that if he gains a hunker token and then you shoot him again then he's spending a force to gain another hunker token so he's getting like cover two automatically it's just the character is nuts and he wants to spend the force and he only has three and that's his balance yeah for sure yeah he's he's really good he makes clones really good even though they're a, a little middling at times but that we've seen so far but he he definitely ramps him up quite a bit and as we get more clones down the road uh i'm he just gets better and better um my vote for like fun combos like that honestly uh at the point to a pretty sweet droid by the name of kalani um i think kalani the super tactical droid is very sweet and is in the similar line as like obi-wan albeit not a primary unit um has a lot of that same potential of just like as we get more battle droids down the road just becomes so good as a secondary um between roger roger um letting them like dash up uh at the start of activation you can just pick any battle droid supporting character within four and they just get a dash just at the start of Kalani's activation no force required obviously unless if you were uh if as we talked about earlier if you have are injured um you have the tactical network that lets them get uh, any other battle droid uh, character within four also gets another dash and they can either or they gain a token or a hunger token remove a condition or make a five dice attack so like one of those three pick your poison um and then to like continue with this um any allied battle droids within range four, um, they get a add one die to their attack roll too. So it's just nothing but just like support for battle droids. And as we start seeing like B2s, droidicas, all that stuff coming down the road, um, Kalani just gets better than better. Remember, he, is, he himself is also a battle droid. Yes, that is also true. So I think uh, even though like B1s, B1s are great at shooting uh, like for support, like they, they have solid shooting. They just melt in melee. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll start. I think you're going to notice that like instead of being like a little more well-rounded as some of these other supports, I think the droids are going to have like specialist um, things. So like B1s, will be, if you want shooting, B1s are good. Magna Guard, obviously, they don't even have a shooting option, but like they're like decently solid in melee. Um it's we're going to start seeing more stuff like that down the road. I'm very excited to see eventually when we have Grievous, I think he's bringing the B2s with him um, and see what they're going to look like too. Yeah, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be good. At least I hope they're good. Yeah, big same. 
Um, okay, next question. Uh, Quincy, do you think the potential output of damage is suitable? Uh, for example, Maul and Annie have the potential to take a primary from full to zero in one swing. Is this too high or fine considering the wounded, injured mechanic? Uh, I, so, Matt, how about you? I'm saying I, I think it's fine. I mean, since we had the wounded mechanic, you're still getting a, you know, three to four activations out of your primaries. I, I think your the damage output might could even go a little higher. All right, yeah, I, I could see, potentially see that, uh, Matthew. Um, I don't, I don't think he can. I mean, he, you know, he could, I guess, if they're already injured, but I don't think he could one shot. I think the only one, only primary is what, Ahsoka Tano? She has nine. I think the, I, it's nine on Maul as an example, right? Maul is, Maul has Maul's 11. Max, what's that? Maul has 11. So. No, but his, his primary output of damage oh, is, yeah. is nine, right? One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, ten. So if he's just sinister cunning, he can get the ten. But I think everyone is basically at the time anyway is nine or eleven. Um, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi is ten. Okay, so yeah, yeah, you're right. He can't. He does have the ability to spike into somebody. Um, I'm not too worried about it again because, sure, you could spike and go down the line. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six successes. That is very, very possible that he does that. But that's kind of all he... I mean, he also has control. He's a really good character. Uh, he's a really good character. But also your character gets dazed. Remember these primaries. They have three... They have the three durability. So they are able to not necessarily be removed from the board. It's really hard to remove a primary from the board. Uh, I suppose the real value is that it starts putting pressure on their force pools because he starts adding in those uh, those tokens. But that's his game plan. That is his game plan. He's a really good character. He's one of the best. Right, right. And like going from that to, um, yeah, like the great, I think that's what makes it okay is the fact, as you just mentioned, it's, it's not like one and done's like MCP where it's just like, Oh, I'm days and oh, cool. Top of this round. Oh no, I'm, I'm gone. I think adding in another factor to that is the, the random, uh, uh, pool of just like how, how you're at, you don't know what unit you're necessarily activating outside of like reserve, um, also helps with that situation a little bit too. Um, cause you can't just like, there's not rounds where you're like, oh, this is days. Top of the next round, they're gone. Like you cannot do that in this game. You will absolutely have every opportunity to still like jam with your units. They're at least going to get like a few activations before they're removed. Um, also, spiking potential in this game is a lot lower because you don't have the the old other crit system that MCP has. Um, the crit system in this game, as we know, is just you cannot block um crits they like blocks don't work against them so it just guarantees like pass down your combat tree where in mcp you know you're just adding more dice granted they can be blocked but it's a bit harder to do that you also have a lot of these primaries have abilities that like get like expertise abilities to get rid of crits like turn crits into hits or turn crits into failures and then other hits also into failures um so there's a lot of uh 
other aspects of that too um, that limits it and makes it okay. I think the balance, if you look at someone like Maul as an example, so he has his sinister cunning, which is the one that goes to 10. Uh, in order to get to 10, you need to get six successes through in order to get to that 10. Um, approximately, because he obviously has uh, damage on his expertise as well. But his his dice is six on his melee, and it's a seven on his ranged. So it's hard to spike because you're not at, like you said, you're not adding dice with your crit mechanics. So you need to get, first of all, you need to get at least six successes um, in some form or another, either through your expertise or through the actual dice face on, on your roll. And then they need to completely blank out in order to get that to happen, which is also not easy to do. If I was going to go down the OP corner, the premature OP corner in terms of Maul, I think the problem is less that Maul has the ability to deal out 10 damage like Anakin does, is more that Maul has force speed, he, so he's able to do an additional uh, move uh, advance. He also has the ability to uh, reposition players without uh, attacks. With his no, there's no place to run, and he has the ability to expose characters so that it's a lot easier for him to do those ten damage if he gets the dice. Uh, so he, uh, his balance in theory is the fact that he only has two durability, so he is a model that is possible to take off the board, um, and it is easy to remove him from the scenario play. But he he is a one of the most well-rounded characters in the box. And because and he can handle a lot of dis- different scenarios. So if I was going to think that if anyone was overtuned, like Maul might potentially be, and I don't know if that's true because it's very limited sample size, that would be the reason because he has just too much stuff that he can do in too many different areas. Yeah, he has a lot of options. Um, one thing also to note too that you you and Matt were talking about about his potential being ten. Um, I mean, it's actually a little bit higher than that because you know if you roll an expertise. Uh, that's an auto damage along with a crit. So like if you get a bunch of crits plus like one expertise, that's adding an additional crit plus an auto damage. So it can you can actually get like 11 damage because you're getting the one auto damage from your expertise tree too. Sure, um, the, ba- the balance is supposed to sort of be in the fact that the dice, the damage equates to dice. Like if you get one expertise, then you get like a huge swing because it's got the crit and the damage to it but once you get like two expertise crit and damage doesn't matter because that means one of those expertise isn't turning into a success uh same with the three and if you look at four plus like it 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 levels off because you're not getting that at the added the damage that is coming through from your expertise isn't coming through from a uh added dice result you know that 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 expertise die that you're rolling of the six for example is the damage as opposed to on his attack tree one of those that die could have been three damage or two damage yeah but you also have to remember maul can easily add dice to his dice pool <laughs> that's yes, true I'll, too that's for, true too <laughs> for for melee specifically but yes absolutely <laughs> yeah i mean he's got uh like I said, the problem with him isn't that he has the potential to get to 10. Is The problem is that he has the potential to get to 10, plus he has the ability to reposition. He can move on to a point and eliminate two people from that point. Uh, 
quite easily. So uh, that that is more. And he has force speed, which is situationally better than force jump because it makes you move significantly farther. Right. Actually, I, I to, before we move on to the last question, I, my example with Maul that I was able to do was very first time I got to activate him within the first struggle, I was able to move force like advance force speed, and it put me onto a middle point. Uh, there was uh, and I got to attack a unit that was there. I spiked and was able to wound them. I got, I went down the tree to get like uh, my a dash reposition all that stuff and i was able to get so much movement i actually ended maul uh, on a, a contesting another point on like my opponent's back line because because of the dash and the reposition off of sinister cutting it was i've i like i did it blew my mind how much movement it just gave me Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, all right. On that <laughs> note, yeah, it's wild. He he's. I've heard some people say they think he's a bad character, like you're like one of the worst out of the box. And I, I don't know if I'm gonna far, go as far as say I strongly disagree, but I like I don't know if they're just seeing his full potential. Sure, he has like the least health in in that box, but just what he can do is kind of wild. Well, he's like a difference between like Anakin's like sword and he's or dagger, something sharp that you can stab people with or Maul, who's like a scalpel. You you got to know how to use it correctly <laughs> to do the most work. Yeah, I think he's a really good example of just like how like you design like an assassin style character of just like he's going to be able to get where he needs to go and do the do what needs to be done in most situations against whatever you need to send him after. All right. And last question comes from our very own Kenny. Uh, which character has the best <laughs> dice? And I think this might be aimed at somebody potentially, yeah. but uh, Matthew, let's start with you, buddy. Uh, the answer is Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. So here's the reason why. Okay, here's the reason. Uh, I know. Okay, I know what he's trying to say. He's trying to say Anakin Skywalker, who has one of the best dice in the game. I agree, uh, but I, I can't give Kenny. Uh, I, I can't let Kenny get away with it. So his thing is that he rolls eight dice, and he has the expertise that throws on crits. One, uh, you know, one, then two, then three on in terms of the tiers. Uh, here's the thing, Obi Wan Kenobi. He does the same thing. He rolls eight dice. He does a force jump. His five dice becomes eight. And then he also has the same expertise track. So not that not that big a deal. One, two, three, four, five, six. He doesn't have the same damage output because he only can go up to seven on that on that uh, stance. But the dice are just as good. And I think also Dooku has a similar one. Yeah, Dooku's uh Dooku's uh Dice are also exceptionally exceptional because his dice for his lightsaber are he gets like one if he gets one expertise he gets two crits out of it and Anakin only gets one crit which doesn't seem fair does it not much at all no in fact Dooku when he uh, does his force lightning he has the exact same expertise track uh, a very similar expertise track actually as Anakin uh but he also adds a damage to it. 
on top of those crits. Yeah, you're actually about to steal my answer because Dooku <laughs> was going to be what I was picking. Like, I was going over this like, whenever I was picking the stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, no, uh, I'm going to go Dooku all day. His his uh, expertise track is real dumb. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't even uh, take into account the... Yeah, no, no, you're right. His, his expertise <laughs> track is tough. The only, the only difference is that uh, Anakin gets to the gets to those two and threes a little quicker because uh, his 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 uh his is one and then two three and then four while uh dooku i believe is one to two and then three to four and then five plus true oh matt what about you what's your pick well i'm being more literal they all have the same dice we don't have any different colored ones or anything they all have the same dice yeah, what they get to do with their dice is different. I, I like Maul though. I'll, I'll be the. I'll, I'll take my Lord Maul. But yeah, they all have the same dice. I'm going to be more literal. <laughs> there you go. I like that. I like that. Uh, well, sorry, Kenny. Uh, I don't think any of us three really have your opinion of Anakin Skywalker, buddy. But uh, better luck next time. <laughs> Maybe you should come on the cast. Right? Yeah. Like, where is he right now? Can't even defend himself. All right. Well, on that note, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. We got a, a bit of a lengthy one on, on our hands. I did not expect, but here we are. Um, any final words from the, either one of you? No, just can't wait to get these games. Just got a bunch of new paints in that I uh, can't wait to use them. Heck yeah. And what about you, Matthew? Uh, no, I'm good. I think we, I think I've spoken quite a bit already. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all have at this point. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening and always remember to keep on gaming.